Hello friends, and welcome to the Healing Ground Movement. Now for more content and bonus features, you can join us on Facebook and Instagram. And remember, all of our content is delivered freely. So please consider supporting the show by donating via the link on our website at healinggroundmovement.com or liking and reviewing the podcast on your favorite platform. Enjoy today's episode. Today's episode is brought to you by one of my all-time favorite apps, Blinkist. I found out about this app when I was pregnant and didn't have as much time to read, particularly into those early years of mothering, and it has been a game changer. Blinkist brings you knowledge from top nonfiction and podcasts so you can learn anytime, anywhere, and the best part is it condenses it down into 15 minutes. You can either listen or read to key ideas from best-selling nonfiction in just 15 minutes. So you keep getting all of these great recommendations, all the parenting books, all the health books, all of the things that you know you should be doing and know that you should know more about, but you just don't have the time to read the full version. You can get the Cliff Notes version from Blinkist. They have teamed up with podcast creators to bring you key insights from podcasts as well. And there is expert curation, their handpicked recommendation tailored to what you're interested in. So the more you listen, the more specific your recommendations get. Visit healinggroundmovement.com slash resources for a free trial of Blinkist. I know you're going to love it as much as I do. Enjoy today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Healing Ground Movement Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Carly Hudson, and joining us today is Stephanie Raffalock. We are going to have a really fantastic conversation today about the beauty and the passage of aging and really seek to rewrite and redefine a lot of the baggage that has come with this conversation for ages and generations. And Stephanie is exactly the guest to dive into this with us. She inspires women to embrace the strength and power of their personal story through the platforms of books, podcasting, and public speaking. She is the author of Creatrix Rising, Unlocking the Power of Midlife Women, as well as the award-winning book, A Delightful Little Book on Aging. And we're going to talk quite a little bit about the delightful little aspect of aging, as well as what is Creatrix and why is it rising? So Stephanie, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Oh, so appreciate you bringing your wisdom and, and bringing a conversation to the forefront that I know I have very often with my patients and my family members um, about the idea of historically the, the burden of aging and perhaps a new way that we could look at that which is really the gift of coming into another cycle of life and the real beauty in that. Uh, What got you started on doing this kind of work? Well, I was writing a lot at the time. When when I retired, I went into the writing life. And the blogs that were publishing my stuff were blogs like, you know, um, 60andme.com, (laughs) boomster.com. And I got a lot of, when you're blogging, you get a lot of feedback from Mm -hmm. people. And what I discovered was that there were a whole generation of women who were not going gently into that good night and actually took offense to being seen as insignificant, irrelevant, or used up. Mm -hmm. And so that's what got me to start writing about it and examine how we look at ourselves as we age 
how the world sees us as we age and aging, especially aging women are one of the last um, bastions of political incorrectness. You can still be a late night TV host and make jokes where, you know, if you're over 70, you're the punchline. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a sad uh, trope that does still remain with very little commentary. And we see that sort of uh, seep in to our everyday lives when we see things like ageism in hiring or firing or someone being obsolete. Or um, I heard a lot of conversations over the course of this last year as everybody was quarantined at home and some women were making choices like no longer dyeing their hair that right. visibly aged them. And what were the consequences of essentially taking off some of that armor? Or is it a revolution? I love that movement, by the way. That's one of the big movements that happened in the pandemic is all of these groups on Facebook and on Instagram where women said, enough, I'm not dyeing my hair anymore. And Mm -hmm. beginning to see like silver hair as a crowning glory instead of something that was disdainful. And the, the comments are amazing because a lot of times you get good support, especially Mm -hmm. from other women. And a lot of times you get the kind of line that says, oh gosh, but you look so old, but you look so, you know, whatever that means, what does that mean to look old? And what is it exactly that you are looking at in me Mm -hmm. that makes you use that phrase? And the only thing I can come up with is there is a tremendous fear around mortality and our own mortality. So like, by making fun of it, by mocking it, maybe somehow we protect ourselves from it a bit. I mean, that's a really astute observation. And <clears throat> excuse me, so often that is the, the satirical line that we draw in the sand of if I, you know, what is it, the schoolyard bully? If I laugh first, you're not going to laugh at me. That's right. <laughs> and if I put up this wall between myself and aging, then it won't come for me. Because, right. <laughs> because that's how it works for you. If you're yeah. lucky, it's coming for you. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And that, you know, given the choices, I think aging is the way to go. Um, and I, I do love that movement. I love seeing all the silver hair. I have always had a bias for how gorgeous it is. And it always struck me after I complimented a few women early in my career when I was a massage therapist that did have silver hair. And I told them how beautiful it was. Um, I could not find the right level of sincerity in my tone to convince them that I wasn't mocking them. Wow. And wow. it's just to see it so, so vibrant now just warms my heart. I think it's beautiful. <laughs> So can you give us a little bit, you know, we've talked about it and I think a lot of our listeners um, have a few cultural givens in their own idea about where this conversation about aging and women um, aging not gracefully and not being allowed to age, period, where that has started in our culture. Can you give us a little bit of a historical framing of the conversation so that we can move forward into your vision of what comes next? Well, we're talking about thousands and thousands of years of archetypal conditioning. Mm -hmm. So that's for starters. And that women were seen as a necessity to the proliferation of the human race, which means once you got past your childbearing years, what was your significance? Mm -hmm. Especially if women in um, 
earlier times were seen as chattel or help meets or not sovereign souls, not individual and free souls. Um, that's where that begins. That's where it comes from. Unfortunately, all of the monotheistic religions are based on a male hierarchy. Mm -hmm. don't include women. So it's deep, deep, deep in the culture. In this particular day and time, what you've got is a lot of advertising. We're bombarded 24-7 with buy this, buy this, buy this. Use this toothpaste toothpaste to keep your teeth whiter. Use this to make you smell better. Use this to cover up the gray. And on and on and on it goes. And even though we'd like to think that we're not really subject or vulnerable to that, mm -hmm. we really are. You get a message enough times, and, and advertising statistics bear this out, you hear a message enough times and people begin to go, oh, that's right, or that's mm -hmm. true. So that's where the whole idea comes from. Um, and there has been revolution in our societies at different times, which sought to um, level the playing field a bit between men and women. Mm -hmm. And there's one that I contend is going on right now with women, which is where Creatrix Rising comes in. Um, for a long time, the, the archetypes that women have as they age have been limited to crone and hag. Crone is a word that entered the lexicon in the 1300s, and it means disagreeable old woman. Mm -hmm. And I don't know very many women that really want that title. <laughs> um, th on, that's on the one hand. On the other hand, if you don't have another word, I have to give kudos to those groups that tried to re-embrace that word and say, well, let's make it mean something else. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean something else. It, it started out with baggage, but... Yeah. I, I have to give kudos to those women that at least tried to make that something better about aging. And I forgot where this was going. I'm <laughs> well, so sorry. And, and that's fine. And I think it's a great place to interject and think about, you know, even in the lack of, of better words, of better languaging that came from now centuries of, as you're talking about this, this patriarchal, um, uh, male uh, hierarchy where women's wisdom was un unnecessary and, you know, crazy, undesirable. Else, undesirable, all of these pieces. So in that lack of language, the desire to have meaning, the desire to have purpose, all of these things that we know drive the human condition in happiness and longevity. Right. And community is being with purpose and being with a place one way or another, we as women are going to try and claim it, are going to try and get there. This is the thing about the menopausal brain, by the way, is eventually if you just relax, it will come back to you what you were saying. Yep. <laughs> but um, so these archetypes of crone and hag were what women had. Now, if you'll notice that may, men had a different archetype. Mm -hmm. Men who age get archetypes like sage and wizard and you know things that move from the warrior archetype to the elder archetype mm -hmm. so creatrix is a word that um my editor pointed out to me i actually thought she had made it up but she hadn't <laughs> turns out it's a real word and creatrix means a woman who makes things 
it is uniquely a feminine word. And when I say feminine and masculine, I'm not talking about gender. I'm talking about qualities. Mm-hmm. So creatrix is a, a feminine word that comes from the three Greek fates, the spinner, the weaver, and the cutter. And the weaver, of course, is the creatrix, a woman who makes things. So creatrix rising postulates that um, the word creatrix could replace the word crone. Because there is a reason that Mother Nature keeps us alive past our mother bearing, you know, our childbearing years. Mm-hmm. And one of those reasons is to tap into that wisdom that makes us an elder. And I think the bridge from that, from motherhood years to the creatrix years, is, is menopause. There's a lot that shifts physically, psychologically, spiritually for a woman. Mm-hmm during that time. So um, the idea of creatrix rising is the rising up of this new archetype that we're embodying. And there were three events that happened just in the last few years that really made me see that there is a collective shift that's going on. The first event was the Women's March of 2017, which was such a unifying moment for women. And it wasn't just women. It wasn't like an old feminists march. It was a march that had husbands and fathers and grandfathers and sons, older women, younger women, everyone marching together. It was a great unifying moment. The following year in 2018, we had more women over the age of 50 run for local, state and national office than ever before in our country's history. And the third thing that happened was the hashtag MeToo movement, which unburdened hundreds of thousands of women who had carried that dirty little secret for decades. Mm -hmm. So those things are what made me look at the fact that there is a collective shift going on, that this is in fact a um, revolution of the heart, because what women bring to the table in leadership and power is different than what men bring to the table in terms of leadership and power. Ours is a much more cooperative model as opposed to a competitive model. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to sort out and say, well, one is therefore better than the other, but I will say that one balances the other. When you've got a sense of cooperation in the move in the room, as well as a sense of competition, you get a greater benefit if you have lots of both. Absolutely. And I think that is the piece, especially as you talked about, just mentioned briefly that when you talk about feminine, masculine, you're not talking about, you know, gendered or sexuality. We all as individuals have a balance of both of those qualities within ourselves. And, and we need that. We could certainly see, and I think there are tropes of women, not kind ones, where we talk about that cooperative um, nature sort of disintegrating into too much accommodation and not enough movement forward in the same way that we see that competitive nature of men, of masculine, I should say, excuse me, um, becoming so competitive that, you know, we, we burn the forest for trying to find a solution. Right, right. We need both and we need that balance. And what we see in front of us is a society that is, um, a, that is incredibly off kilter and incredibly off balance. <laughs> Yes, we are going through that time. And and some of that I think is um, due to the screen time that we spend um, and that our ability to relate to each other heart to heart, human being to human being is somewhat diminished with screen. Now I'm very grateful for screen time because I'm here with you today. That's kind of the magic of the internet. Mm -hmm. Um, I've certainly stayed in touch with my family during COVID 
through screen, um, but there's an underbelly to technology. And the underbelly is that we are not as kind to each other when we feel a veil of anonymity mm-hmm. that is provided us by a screen where we're not really feeling the energetic of the person in the room or worse, um, you're just typing in a post. Yeah. Something. There's a, there's a great sense of um, rudeness, really, for lack of a better word, in our culture right now that um, I hope will heal itself as time goes on. And, mm-hmm. you know, we don't feel all the effects of this, this virus yet. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean that in the sense of the, the virus itself, but there have been a lot of changes in the last year and a half. And what those changes mean to us are going to be revealed more and more as, as time goes on. But I, I wonder about the screen time thing, because I think everyone's a little bit zoomed out, you know? I, I agree. And, and I see it. And I think um, this conversation started with a nice element to, um, you know, we're not necessarily, I would imagine throughout this going to be saying something is right or wrong. We are observing what is right. and what is in the balance of, you know, what is functional and to a certain degree, having zoom, having the computer, having members of the patriarchy, all of these things are functional needs. However, done in an extreme and without balance of community and cooperative. And, um, then that maternal side as well, we find off balance and there is that underbelly. There is that shadow side of the too much. And I kind of thought about the screen time at the beginning of the pandemic of, you know, kind of an old story of, you know, if your mom catches you smoking a cigarette out behind the barn, make you finish the pack. And now do you want another one? And I think we're all just ODing on technology a little bit in a way that takes it out of a subtle buzz of discomfort to a, yeah, well, I cannot have another Zoom meeting today. I need to see a person. And we can now name that need because we have had to face the problem for so long. Well, and I think that, you know, the answer is contained within that statement, isn't it? The craving for human contact is so much more than just looking at a picture of someone on a screen. Mm -hmm. The human contact is that you get kind of an energetic read of people. You know, you, what you feel in your heart, what you feel in your head when you meet someone, Um, I've felt very blessed these last couple of years because we have a big neighborhood with tons and tons of sidewalks so we can walk everywhere. And during the um, hotter months, my husband and I walk in the morning in this neighborhood and we get a chance to have conversations with all of our neighbors and we're still eight feet apart. (laughs) And um, that's been a, that's been a blessing. It really has seeing these opportunities. And so as we come back around to this this need and this desire for connection and this desire for community, how does that become a part of some of these big shifts in the collective over the last few years? What the Women's March and these elections and the Me Too movement did to speak to a collective gathering of sorts and where women are going from here on out? Hopefully. Well, I think you're beginning to see small parts of that. I mean, we do clearly live in a post hashtag me too world now. Mm-hmm. And the way that that manifests is not that suddenly every man with bad behavior went away, but the way that manifests is that um, human resource directors are 
creating work environments where women don't have to put up with that, where they have a safe place where they can go to, to report someone who is being abusive. Mm -hmm. So we're seeing more of that. I think that um, especially the younger generation, the Z generation Z um, that's coming up, have a great sense of welcoming, welcoming and inclusiveness that is less about traditional roles and more about interaction. I have great hope for this world because of the younger generation. I think that they're teaching us a lot. Um, and for women, you know, I do believe we are still engaged in a struggle, but I think that we are much more apt to want to find the light of our truth and stand in it and and find our voice, to speak our voice, to speak our mind and our heart. So that's coming around. So you see places in our culture all the time. What that will mean in the long run, I don't know. Um, I know what I would like it to mean in the <laughs> long run, and that is that we keep going more cooperatively towards a more balanced life. Mm -hmm. uh, that's what, you know, when we say the world is out of whack right now, it's like we're really saying it's out of balance. Yeah. We yeah. Need we need the masculine and the feminine. We need uh, we need to relearn what words like sacrifice mean. That there's a nobility of sacrifice, so that we have each other's back. We need to relearn respect, not just for our elders, but respect for this planet that has sustained us. I mean, she's suffering in all of this too. Yeah. And COVID was a, you know, I think that all living things have a consciousness and an intent. And I believe it was the consciousness and the intent of COVID to shine a light, but not a light of illumination, mm -hmm. an interrogating light that shows us where things are broken in the society so mm -hmm. that we can then address those things. It absolutely, I agree. Um, we especially saw that in the first months of, of shutdown where all of the systems that were good enough, <laughs> certainly mm -hmm. with complaints, certainly with uh, individuals railing against whatever um, board of, of advisors that they needed to, um, but it was never enough to quite change it, kind of like this technology that we were talking about before. Right. And all of the sudden school systems couldn't pivot and couldn't sustain an amount of stress and um, care for our unemployed or our houseless individuals, care for our elder community, even the hospital systems themselves. Everything was sort of shown for being held together by duct tape and chewing gum. Yeah. Um, and we, we have to do a really big overhaul to be able to have resiliency which to me is a word that I would definitely put within the creatrix, would definitely put within the creative person. There's a resiliency for what can we make of this? What can we do right. um, instead of breaking? Yeah. So, so what are some ways that instead of the crone, um, we might as aging women embody the creatrix? Well, I think that's something that's still unfolding, but you know, you don't have to look too far to see the women around you who are above the age of 50, who make tremendous impact and contribution to this world. Whether you're looking at the, the late Ruth Bader Ginsburg, or you're looking at an actress and artist like Meryl Streep, or even Reese Witherspoon, who's a little, you know, a little shy of the creatrix years, but still in her mid forties at this mm -hmm. point, and is doing things in Hollywood that 30 years ago, women couldn't do. 
Mm-hmm. You know, she's choosing her projects and, you know, putting together book clubs that people get interested in a project. She's, she's an amazing creatrix in that way. So I think that that's the first place we look to is just what the women around you are doing. Certainly in politics in that 2018 election, all of the women that ran for political office. And what was so interesting about that was these were not lifers. These were not lifetime career, political career women. These were school teachers that saw problems that needed to be addressed and said, screw it, I'm running for political office. So that's how Creatrix can teach us. And I think we just have to look for her in our own life. What is it that's rising up that's greater than what we've given to ourselves? Oftentimes women in their beginning in their late 60s begin to see themselves as insignificant or irrelevant and I like to share that that while yes, that is true culturally, that call is really coming from inside the house. So the first thing that we need to do is adjust our own way of talking to ourselves, our own way of seeing ourselves and gently cajole ourselves to find that we have strength. We have a woman's power and we have the ability to make change just by loving ourselves and demonstrating who we are in the world. The feminist, the great feminist milestones that have happened in our culture didn't happen because one woman went to Washington and put forth legislation. It happened because of that drip, drip, drip that, you know, so many women voiced an opinion, a concern that eventually it became a collective, eventually it became a tipping point. That's certainly what happened with hashtag me too. Um, and then the ability to free oneself by just putting it out there and know that none of us were ever as alone as we thought we were. Well, and that is such a beautiful reminder of what it is to work within sort of that, that feminine um, movement. It is collaboration. It is community drawing. And there is a little bit of a cognitive dissonance, uh, a struggle when so much of our society is and has been for so long um, bootstrapping and the Lone Ranger and Superman and these solitary, very masculine descriptors of how we get stuff done. Um, So many of our, our presidents over the last several decades have embodied that personality and that is, you know, what the American people often look for because that is the patriarchy in which we exist. And so I certainly see for myself and and for the women in my life, there is this push pull of, I need to behave within this lone ranger kind of ideology, but also that is the antithesis of what I am trying to do. And we see that in something like the Me Too movement, where it is a collective. So how might we step away from this ingrained idea of I have to do it myself, even in that perfect housewife mentality too, <laughs> to join to join join our sisters, join, join, join the women? I think the first thing that we have to do is to make a commitment to ourselves to support the women around us. Mm-hmm. And that's that's everything from supporting the neighbor lady across the street who just came home because she had surgery or the woman down the block that's got kids that you can hang out with her and give her some adult time while she's playing with her kids in the park to um, simply the way we speak to other women. Like, you're great. You're doing great. Um, 
compliments go a long way, Mm -hmm. you know, that we express our love freely. Um, I have, I have said for a number of years now that women, one of women's roles um, and the feminine role is to hold emotion. We provide a container for emotion. And, you know, for a long time, it was like, oh, women, they're so emotional. And it's like, yeah, (laughs) don't you want that? Or do you want it to all just be head and rugged American individualism and there's no room for the heart. Mm-hmm. So one of the ways that we do that is by freely sharing our love, expressing our love, and that we model that for other women. It's like, well, wow, if she can do that and that actually feels kind of good and looks kind of cool, then maybe I can do that too. Mm-hmm. You know, how? When was the last time that you told someone you were working with, I appreciate you? I like to sign my emails that way sometimes. I appreciate you. Thank you. Because I don't think any of us can ever hear it enough. So that's one of the ways that we engage in becoming a community of women. Show up for other women. Mm -hmm. Well, and so much of, um, I'm thinking about another podcast that we recorded just recently, which is when we talk about what creates longevity. Um, We're talking with Marta Zaraska about this, that being in community, being in a loving, supportive community and doing the things that you just described, you know, is there someone that you can call upon when you are injured and just need a bowl of soup or, you know, your groceries picked up? Is there a mom that you can lean on when your children have gone feral and you just need five minutes? That is one of our biggest predictors of longevity is do we exist within community? So in that sense, as women have this community-driven, this feminine desire and this feminine drive, that is what creates our longevity, not just as individuals, but as a little bit as a community, as a species, that we are driving that connectivity. Right. It's like we can't really exist without each other. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we can be individuals, but we also need the collective. It's always the big sloppy and. Mm-hmm. masculine and feminine, you know, individualism and community. And so that's a great place to start. How do you enter into your community? Yeah. Well, could we talk a little bit more then about, we, we've touched on a few pieces, but changing this aging, changing this transition from menopause and the Let's see what lovely words did I learn in my clinical training about drying up and becoming frail and fragile and really more susceptible to all the illness and injury post-menopause. That's my clinical training, guys. To making it a noble passage of opening and expanding and arriving, which certainly sounds like a heck of a lot more fun. It certainly does. <laughs> you know, um, George M. Valiant was the uh, one of the directors of the Harvard study on aging. And he wrote in his book, Aging Well, that at the end of the day, it was going to be less about your cholesterol numbers and more about your attitude. Mm. That's what helped you age well. And I think a lot of that stuff is overblown. I'm not saying that there aren't problems that come with aging. My connective tissue has changed. There are certain activities that I no longer do. But one of the things that happens with aging is this great sense of adaptability. Mm -hmm. Can't jog anymore? Great. Become a walker. Feel that that's too hard on your body? Great. Become a swimmer. My Pilates classes are filled with women over the age of 60. Mm -hmm. So 
I think that first of all, we have to take a step back and go, it's not a sentence. This is not a sentence, a punishment that now you're old and you're insignificant and you're dried up and you're, you know, I heard a great story this morning. I was talking to a girlfriend of mine from Oregon and she said, Steph, you're not going to believe it. My mom, her mom is 91. She said, my mom is dating. I said, really? She said, yeah, she lives in this great, you know, kind of senior apartment house. And, you know, it's not really assisted living, but her room, you know, her apartment gets cleaned once a week and she can have meals there if she wants and stuff. And this guy moved in, who I guess is also about 90 or 91, and they have been going out to lunch together. (laughs) So it's like love is alive at 91, companionship and attraction. Mm -hmm. So why do we tell ourselves that? you know, we're, we're living longer, but it's really bad. I mean, that's the mixed message. We're living longer. Isn't that great? And Oh, it's really bad. Yeah. It almost feels like a punishment that you're going to hang on for what? And I would contend that it's not that bad, that this is actually a really great time to be an older person. Mm-hmm. That we we live in a world that ha- we have more nutraceutical knowledge than ever before. We have some pharmaceutical knowledge that is helpful. We know that exercise and diet actually do contribute your whole life through. Um, this is a good time to be an older person. Mm-hmm. Um, Joan Chittister in her book, um, The Gift of Years, talks about that and says, man, do away with the fear. This idea that you're going to turn 70 and we're all going to get Alzheimer's that's not the truth. Mm -hmm. Yes, that some of that exists. But you know what? Some health problems exist in your 20s and 30s and 40s as well. So I think the first thing that has to happen is quit buying the propaganda that, oh my God, it's noon. I'm 70. I need depends. Somebody go get me one of those life alert things so I can push the button. It's not necessarily the truth. And yes, there will be changes. Um, I'm grateful for having someone that helps me clean my house because it seems like it's a lot more than it used to be. But I'm also grateful that I'm getting out in the world and moving. And moving is an interesting thing because if you keep moving, you're constantly entering expansion. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you get a little too comfortable in that Barca lounger, that is a contraction. And when you contract physically, the mind and the heart are soon to follow. Absolutely. So keep it moving, which is, by the way, a title of a book by Twyla Tharp, who in her 70s is still choreographing in New York. Keep it moving should be the motto of everyone over the age of 50. For as long as you can, as much as you can. I couldn't agree more. And I, I think keep it moving is just should be the human motto. We are, we yeah. are here to move. And, and to that point, I'm loving, um, you know, these qualifications that you're bringing up about change. It's this idea that we constantly throughout our life go through changes in what we want to do and what we ask to do. Cause even as you're talking about now that you don't, run anymore. That doesn't feel good anymore. I'm thinking about my four, nearly five-year-old daughter who was bouncing around my house, jumping on a trampoline, jumping onto a pogo stick, and just like, the whole place was a jungle gym. And I'm watching her thinking, well, I don't want to do that anymore. I mean... <laughs> I I love my biking. I love my yoga. I'm going to go try some new activities soon that 
I wouldn't have had the coordination to do at her age. I'm, I, I love um, trying to do things like circus arts and trapeze, and I'm going to go take okay. a jujitsu for the first time and see how that goes. Well, to be continued on that, but she doesn't have the coordination to do those. And I don't have the desire to jump around like, I don't know, a, a monkey on fire, like she is around my house. And, but at 36, I'm not going, well, it's because I'm old and decrepit. Why does that right. shift have to be different post-menopause that I have a different desire, a different energy, and a different coordination of my life to find a new activity, but now it's because I'm old and decrepit? It doesn't make sense. Yeah, and I think that some of the adaptability that happens is the adaptability of necessity. Mm-hmm. So once your connective tissue starts to creak a little bit, you kind of figure out what makes it not creak. Mm-hmm. I will say that one of the great tricks of of aging well is that sometimes you wake up with some pain and the best way to ameliorate that pain is to get up and move Mm -hmm. you know a walk it was like oh I forgot my hip was hurting you know and your body gets flooded with endorphins and all of that good Mm -hmm. stuff so and I'm not quite sure why we still hang on so tenaciously to the idea that um this idea of frailty and decrepitness and dried upness. But I mean, you gave an example. Here it is in your medical training. Mm-hmm. The, these words, dried up. Mm-hmm. Dried up tissues, frail tissues. Right. So, I, and I'm, like I said, I'm here to tell you connective tissue does change. I can tell but you. Yeah. <laughs> at 70 years old, I am kayaking once a week. I am walking three miles a day. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm doing some Pilates. My yoga has modified a bit. I do some of my yoga in a chair and some on the floor. There's no reason that you can't keep going. There's just no reason. In fact, you will feel better for it. So um, my husband had parents that danced for most of their life and dancing was their exercise and it kept them young and vibrant. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what we're all looking for is a kind of vibrancy. Yeah. Um, I will tell you that as one slows down a bit, that kayaking has become a favorite sport of mine, not only because I get good upper body from it, but because I love the moments I take when I'm not paddling and I'm just floating close to shore Mm -hmm. and I can see the blue heron that has come down to the water's edge to check me out. Um, I can see the rolling hills on the other side of the lake and there is a contemplative gift that happens when we mm-hmm. age. The you know you're not taking care of kids, you're not you're stressing to take care of a home, and contemplation enters the picture. Spontaneous contemplation, sitting on the back porch and getting lost in clouds. I mean, those. I think that's the reason nature keeps us alive mm-hmm. after the motherhood years is to give us a sense of um, the infinite spiritual. The um, that we are somehow part of the stardust that's out there, that it's all one, that it's all interconnected. And to be able to reflect upon that in one's older years, is it's a, it's a great gift. Mm-hmm. It's, the, it's the softening and the peacefulness of the heart. It's the finally the calming down of like, wow, I sure put myself through a lot to make life make sense. Mm-hmm. When here in this simplicity, it's just revealed to me. And in that's quiet. And that's the wisdom that we have been missing by making women obsolete post-childbirth 
is that as we look at, um, and, and we see it so much in our, in our society as well, um, mothers predominantly now the, the share of household chores and, and those kind of parenting things is shifting. It's still not 50, 50, but it is not as quite as lopsided as it was. Um, but we see now predominantly these mothers trying to do it all and trying to be it all and trying to have that perfection and in a sense, missing out on the cultural wisdom that comes in that postmenopausal contemplative years of, we don't need to be at all, we already are and everything will flow and come back together. And what if that was part of the message? What was that? What, what if that was part of the gift coming downstream to the mothers and the daughters and the granddaughters. Right. Instead of trying to figure out some contemplative truth while you're juggling 25 schedules and, you know, can't keep your head on straight. So to any 30 year old, something 30 something Mm -hmm. listener out there, (laughs) I will say this, no one ever gets the game completely wired. Life is a process until the day you die. Mm -hmm. I don't like the word woke because it connotes past tense. You awaken and reinvent all of the time. Mm -hmm. That's what reinvention is, is it is awakening and we reawaken. It's like reading a great philosophical book when you're in your 20s and, oh God, I loved Martin Buber. Then you go back and read it when you're 70 and everything has changed because your perception has changed and you see so much more. So you never get it figured out. Mm-hmm. You know, that's it. What we want is to brush up against the great mystery of life, not the great perfection of life. Oh, I love that. The perfection is within the mystery and we're all living the mystery. No mm-hmm. one can tell you for sure what happens when you die. I mean, we have our ideas. We have religious ideas, spiritual ideas about that. Um, but no one can tell you for sure. This is the great mystery. This is like... It's all awe. It's all just amazing awe. So um, 30-year-olds, you will never figure it out. And let that let your shoulders drop about six inches. You don't have to. You don't owe it to the world to be perfect. You just owe it to yourself to keep growing and stretching psychologically and spiritually to become the best that you can be, which is what is innate in your heart anyway. Ah, oh, beautiful. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. And I think it's something that as one of those 30-year-olds who's listening right now, um, it's one of those things that we that we need to hear and need to embrace more. Um, it, it reminds me of some advice that my mother gave me when I think I was about 27 years old. And I was going through a very rough time. I was living in Boston and just really stressing out about what, what I should do next for career, next for my relationship, next, 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 as, as we do in our late 20s. And I said, Mom, when did you figure it out? She goes, um, I don't know, but if you get there first, will you tell me? <laughs> Let me know. Let me know. And and that remains true. It is that sweetness of brush. I love that, that brushing up against the mystery. And, and that is that gift of the creatrix is space to dance and engage with that mystery in a way that is not provided to us in any of our other stages because we're doing other things that are well, really yeah, important. But, I mean, you yes, know, motherhood years... You're raising kids. You're thinking about a mortgage. You, you know, 
I mean, baby barf on your shoulder and braces are kind of what your world is. That's <laughs> appropriate. It's appropriate that you think about those things then. So and, much fun too. <laughs> and as one gets older, you know, th- that shifts, but it, it shifts in every decade. Mm-hmm. From one's 20s to 30s to 40s to 50s. There's like, there's mm-hmm. a theme to every decade. Yeah. And we would all do well to spend a little bit of quiet time at the end of our day or mm-hmm. first thing in the morning and say, what is the theme? for mm-hmm. this 10 years? Is this about me nose to the grindstone to like, you know, really make my career happen? Nothing wrong with that. But you know, how does that affect the rest of my life? And what is it that I want? And what is my balance now? Yeah. And all of those answers that you give to yourself will change again in another eight to 10 years. Beautiful. And wouldn't we hope so? Yeah. And, and all of this brings me to a point that you made earlier, which is about talking about the and not the but, not the binary, not the cutoff, where we get to have this gradient and change and desires and perspective that is allowed for so many years and so many decades until suddenly we stumble upon 50, 60, 70, you know, wherever your cutoff for old is, now it turns into a but. And what if it remained and I'm going to keep going, I'm going to keep changing and I'm going to keep revisiting and that can be a very powerful shift of, of just um, not going so quietly into that sweet night, as you put it. Right, right. Well, and and is a great word because it's, you know, it connotes, it's kind of sloppy, you know. And, mm-hmm. and when you get older, there is a um, there is a backdrop of grief that begins to happen because mm-hmm. we lose parents, we lose siblings, we lose friends. Um, some of our athletic prowess is diminished. And... So we need to learn to live with, yes, I have loss in my life and I have joy. Mm -hmm. That these two things together are what texture the heart. You know, it's wisdom is always found in the grit. It's never, or it's never found in the polite, perfect places in life. Mm -hmm. Wisdom comes from the grit of the ability to, to hold loss and love side by side in one's heart. And that's really what's asked of us, I think, as we grow older. But it's a good thing to know for our younger years as well, is that, um, you know, I want a career and I want to be a good mother and I may not be able to do it all perfectly. So I'll do as much as I can do. You know, take some of the pressure off. God, we have so much pressure on ourselves. We really do. And I love um, that bringing bringing to highlight that, that we need the grit. And we need the loss and we need the sorrow. And that is so often the power of teachers. And we think about so many great mentors or even the women who are, you know, champion the hashtag Me Too movement. Um, you know, they didn't show up with things to say because there wasn't grit in their life. And the women who showed up for the election didn't show up because they were satisfied and happy and content. And those who came to the Women's March did not do so because they wanted to tell the world how well-balanced everything was. That grit is the wisdom of change. And we are taught that in greater volumes as we age. And that is, while sad and while hard, part of the balance and very important. Yeah, well said, well said. Uh, Stefan, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and sharing this new way of looking at 
the mother, the maiden, and the creatrix, and where we are headed next, where we can keep expanding to, what the world needs us to expand to. Uh, Can you tell all our listeners where they can find more about you and your work and your books to dive a little bit deeper? You can find me on byline-stephanie, spelled the classical way with a PH, mm-hmm. um, byline-stephanie.com. And I have um, an email connection there. My Instagram account is there. Everything is there. My blogs are there. How to get my books are there. It's a one-stop shop. <laughs> it's a one-stop shop. Beautiful. Thank you again, Stephanie, for for joining us today. And to all of our listeners, I hope whatever stage in life you are at, whatever you are embodying and wherever you are um, sneaking up on that mystery, we can do that with expansion. We can do that with the idea of and, as well as a purpose within our community. So reach out to each other a little bit more, um, send those kind words around, and we will see you next time for another episode of the Healing Ground Movement Podcast. Be well. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed what you heard and got a little something out of it. Now remember, the information expressed in these interviews is for informational and not diagnostic or treatment purposes. However, I hope you find that having the right information and resources can go a long way to helping you on your healthcare journey. Ask the right questions and seek out professional help.